Here on Gadget Lab, we dive deep into the tech universe, tackling questions like, is giving companies access to your genetic material a good idea? And are the latest phone releases really that different than the last ones? We want to help you make informed decisions about what is worth your attention. And here's something that is undeniably worth your time, a digital subscription to Wired. Lucky for you, we are giving Gadget Lab listeners an exclusive discount, 20% off an annual subscription to Wired. Just visit Wired.com and use the promo code GL20 to get 20% off a digital subscription. Use GL20 to get exclusive access to stories on the latest innovations like AI, deepfakes, and VR, as well as today's most talked about people in technology. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Are you driving your car or doing laundry right now? Podcasts go best when they're bundled with another activity. Like Progressive Home and Auto Policies, they're best when they're bundled too. Having these two policies together makes insurance easier and could help you save. Customers who save by switching their home and car insurance to Progressive save nearly $800 on average. Quote a home and car bundle today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $793 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2021 and May 2022. Potential savings will vary. AI is making waves in every field it touches. President Biden is now on TikTok and the election draws closer each day. With so much going on in the world, it is hard to keep up with it all, let me tell you. Hi, I'm Kai Rizdal, the co-host of Make Me Smart. It's a podcast from Marketplace. And every weekday, Kimberly Adams and I break down the latest in business and the economy with short daily episodes to make it easy for you to stay in the know. Listen to Make Me Smart wherever you get your podcasts. Mike. Lauren. Mike, is there an echo in here? <laughs> I think there are about 78 <laughs> echoes in here right now. Are, are they all listening to us right now? Yeah, they're always listening for the wake word, but they're still always listening. <laughs> We have much to discuss today. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Gadget Lab. I'm Lauren Good. I'm a senior writer at Wired. And I'm Michael Calori. I'm a senior editor at Wired. Welcome back from Colorado, Mike. We missed you this week. Thanks. You were um, on some big outdoors extravaganza. Yeah, I'm glad to be back at sea level. All right. You saw elk. <laughs> and heard them. They bugle. And yeah. I didn't know that about they elk. Bugle. They bugle. Really? Yeah, they wow. do. Could you imitate the sound for us here on the podcast? What Absolutely it not. Okay. I'm going to come back to that. Uh, <laughs> we're also joined this week by Wired Senior Associate Reviews Editor, Adrian So, who is joining us from Portland, Oregon. Adrian, great to have you back on the show. Hi, guys. I am free for elk bugling whenever we've reached that point. So, <laughs> what, is it, what does it sound like? Have you heard an elk bugle? I have not, but I, we can speculate now if we want. <laughs> they sound like you might think they're coyotes. But oh, wow. They're wow. I would so not cool. think that for an elk or elk, plural. You know what? Ask Alexa. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Way to bring it back to gadgets. All right. It's it's another week. It's another fall hardware launch. We definitely call this silly season for a reason. Some people call it Techtober. Uh, this week, it was Amazon. Amazon is now known for this deluge of new hardware every September. And this past Tuesday was no exception. There's a new thermostat. Um, it's a really cheap thermostat. They partnered with Honeywell for this. There are updates to the video-based Echo Show. 
There are even more Ring security cameras, including a drone for inside your home. We first saw it last year. We saw it again this year. Uh, we're going to talk about all that today um, because all of us were covering the event virtually, um, but we're not going to bury the lead here. The product that really stole the virtual show was Astro. Astro is a robot. It's a, it's a robot for your home. It's not another robot for Amazon warehouses. Um, we have feelings about Astro, but Adrian, <laughs> first, just describe Astro. This is the fun part. Like, tell the the our lovely podcast listeners what this thing looks like and what it does um, in the most in most descriptive terms possible. Uh, it was Astro. You can describe Astro as a feeling, which is ten <laughs> tech reporters screaming simultaneously into Slack. I think was. <laughs> The, was the reaction it's a it's two feet tall it's 20 pounds it uses a slam navigation which is a pretty common robot vacuum um, navigation mechanism to just kind of roll around your house creepily trailing your four-year-old as they play um, it has a neck that can extend sensors cameras microphones and it costs about $1,000. It can't go up the stairs, thankfully. So you have some place in your house where you're safe. Uh, you likened it to a robotic vacuum, which a lot of people on the internet this week were comparing it to. Uh, but it doesn't vacuum and it's $1,000. I'm befuddled. <laughs> well, here's the thing. like. Amazon, does, it, it doesn't precisely do new things. It takes things that have been circulating and just makes them infinitely creepier. Like I have been seeing prototype versions of helper bots, um, usually uh, marketed as elder care robots. And they seemed very fine and helpful for like elder relatives, like just running small errands around your house, but somehow... I can't quite pinpoint the reason why having an all-encompassing Amazon bot is simultaneously like more helpful and also way worse. Maybe we can hash that out here. <laughs> oh, yeah, we have seen um, at CES in recent years. I mean, we didn't go to CES in person in 2021, but CES 2020 and years prior, we would see these helper bots like you're describing. Um, then it was interesting to see this year they were kind of repositioned as like cleaning bots like they would use you know uv light or some other mechanism to to like clean your house and disinfect um but uh, but they're generally very expensive and just kind of even if they're not they're not really humanoid they just they are very futuristic feeling like you just have this feeling when you see them like these are probably not ever really going to come to my home. Um, and then you have like on the other side of the robotic sphere, something like what Boston Dynamics makes, right? Which they, they have these, like the design, the build is absolutely incredible. The way their gears are made, how agile and dexterous they are. And then people see those and they go, wow, these are our future warlords, right? Um, but even though we're saying, oh, $1,000 is a lot of money, it actually is kind of like a more accessible version of those those home robots we've been seeing for years and like people might actually get this thing. Yeah. And you have to sign up uh, for <laughs> the privilege of purchasing one. Right. So they're doing this by invitation only. And I know we'll talk about that later because the other stuff we're going to talk about is also invitation only. But I think it's kind of interesting that like I, I, I always have to ask myself, like, why is Amazon so into this? Why are they so into putting robots in your home? 
And I have a bit of a theory that I can walk you through. Like we know that they have been uh, using robots in their fulfillment centers for a very long time. About 10 years ago, they bought a company called Kiva Robotics, mm -hmm. which makes like a little robot that can lift uh, a pallet. It can lift like over a ton worth of stuff and move it around inside of a warehouse environment. A couple of years ago, Washington Post did some reporting and said that Amazon has 200,000 of those robots moving around his warehouse. It's no longer called Kivo Robotics. It's called Amazon Robotics now. And this is like a big thing for them for supply chain and fulfillment and distribution stuff. So why do they want to put robots in your home? They learn a lot about those slam navigation systems that Adrian was talking about. They learn a lot about that when they put it in your home and then they study the data. There was a lot of uh, hand wringing this week about uh, how the data will be shared with Amazon. So so, you know, the robot will do a lot of its learning and a lot of its navigation on device. But then in order to improve the the uh, utility of the robots that everybody owns, it's going to upload that user data to Amazon, which they can the engineers can then use to improve the software and make everybody's robots better at like not bumping into things or, you know, just understanding how humans move around the home. Yeah. Well, robot vacuums are getting smarter and smarter too. Uh, I've already started to see some of these like uh, crowdsourcing and AI stuff in robot vacuums, like a robot vacuum that uses slam navigation and then begins to like identify which parts of your house are like your kid's bedroom or your kitchen or your living room and Amazon being able to do that and just run all these like little in-person errands for you just around your home. Like a, a, a Astro can identify where your bathroom is and it has your purchase history and it can, you know, say it's been four weeks since you've run out of toilet paper. I know that you had somewhat mixed feelings about the Dash shelf, Lauren. So imagine your little robot just reordering your your diapers and your ketchup and you could just wander in and check the fridge for you like would that be awesome or completely <laughs> terrible would you end up with 75 bottles of ketchup maybe i mean it would be <laughs> worth it would be worth seeing if that's what they do with it because like that's my big question about astro what is it for like a warehouse robot is for moving around pallets you know a roomba mm -hmm. or like a robot vacuum is for vacuuming your floor what is this for is it really going to do that is it going to use its cameras to see like you know when you're out of ketchup uh, is it just for companionship? Like, I don't even think Amazon knows the answer mm -hmm. to that. Yeah, I think I, I wrote on Wired.com this week that Astro is a robot without a cause for that reason. And the truth is, I don't think Amazon is fully sure yet what this is for. They're still trying to define exactly what the best use case is for Astro. And so there are like three sort of layers to consider here with a home robot like this. One of the ideas is like, yeah, what exactly is it for? What would you use it for in your home? It's really it's really hard to say. We, we often buy things or have purchase intent because we think it's going to fulfill a specific need in our lives. And we don't, it's hard to say with Astro. The second thing is um, just any kind of privacy concerns that you might have for having something with, a, with cameras, this periscope camera that just kind of emerges out of the top of the bot um, or microphones, like just trailing you or your guests or your children around the house, like, I think that's a very legitimate concern. Um, and then and then the third thing is just how do you feel generally about sort of being a beta tester for Amazon in this regard? Because it is, um, as Mike mentioned, by invitation only. And so it's not going to be selling, you know, millions of them to people right out of the gate. Amazon also says it wants to sell more than hundreds. So let's just say thousands. Um, if thousands of these are in people's homes and it's still 
considered fairly experimental, you're going to be sending potentially data back to Amazon where it's going to learn how you are using it in the home, what you're, what you're doing in your home, what you're buying for your home, and then helping to shape what Astro ultimately becomes. And some people would be down for that. And some people just don't want to be Amazon's beta testers. Here, here is one thought, because one of the things that Amazon announced during the event was uh, that you can now call emergency services, which you didn't used to be able to do. One of the use cases that we've seen for like prototype bots is elder care and with updates to Alexa together and the Care Hub, and you can now call emergency services. If Astro can walk around your house and see if one of your elderly relatives has fallen and then can call 911 for you. It's occurred to me, I don't know how <laughs> if that's what anybody's actually going to be eager to put bots in their like 90, 90 year old parents home, but. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And it also integrates with Ring too, right? Mm -hmm. So if you have Ring cameras outside of your home, um, then I guess you could use the tablet on the AstroBot to view what's happening. I guess so. And that was another thing, like as somebody who tends to be pretty circumspect about in-home camera systems, like you, you, you eventually learn, you know, that there are places that you like are, you know, your safe zones in your home where you, like, I, I'm fine with cameras outside definitely not fine with them around like my children's rooms or near where my children are playing. So the idea that there is a, you know, a bot that can just travel wherever it pleases, whenever it wants is really unnerving. Adrian, what else stood out to you from the event the other day? The kids, Amazon kid updates. They're really reaching out to future Amazon customers starting at three or four. These are the biggest partnerships in children's entertainment, uh, Disney, Mattel, Nickelodeon. When I saw that they had partnered with Blippi, I almost barfed out of my eyes because I have spent about a year avoiding Blippi, that monster, and now he's coming for me. So it's a lot easier to resist a megacorp on my own behalf than it is on my children's. So if this partnership with Disney uh, keeps moving forward, I really don't know what I am going to do. So Amazon is making the hard pitch to your kids now, basically. It's almost as if there isn't a hearing going on right now as we tape this with a giant tech company and its influence over the lives of kids. I know. We'll save that for another podcast. Um, <laughs> all right, we're gonna take a quick break. And when we come back, we're gonna talk about more Amazon product announcements um, with a focus on security and its ring brand. This podcast is supported by Tools and Weapons, the podcast hosted by Microsoft Vice Chair and President Brad Smith. Each episode features insight you won't find anywhere else from the center of the conversation surrounding emerging technologies like AI. Right now on the podcast, you can hear a special episode where Brad Smith lays out Microsoft's vision for a vibrant marketplace driving the new AI economy. To hear more, follow or subscribe to Tools and Weapons with Brad Smith wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Jeremy Larson, the Reviews Director of Pitchfork, and this podcast is supported by Pitchfork Music Festival. Pitchfork Music Festival will take place July 19th through the 21st at Union Park in Chicago, Illinois. This year's lineup features Jamie XX, Alanis Morissette, Black Pumas, Carly Rae Jepsen, Brittany Howard, Jay Paul, Muna, Jesse Ware, 100 Gex, and many more. 
The festival also features diverse vendors as well as a specialty record, poster, and craft fairs and works to support local businesses while promoting the Chicago arts and food communities as a whole. For more information on tickets and lineup, visit pitchforkmusicfestival.com. Welcome back. All right. Aside from the Astro Robot, Amazon also showed off some other, uh, I guess you'd call them more normal smart home gadgets, um, maybe. All right. A lot of them are themed around security. So Amazon owns the brand Ring, um, and we saw some new Ring cameras, um, alarm systems, video doorbells, that kind of thing. We also saw the Ring Always Home Cam, which was first announced last September, um, but never actually launched. It's still not like really launched. It's once again, one of these invite only devices. And it's basically a drone that flies around inside your home. We're going to talk about that. Amazon also revealed a new video doorbell from Blink, which is another smart home company that it bought. So Amazon is not only putting cameras and microphones in your home through its Echo brand um, and learning a lot from your voice queries and, and what you're doing on things like the Echo Show, but it's moved more and more into the home security space over the years. Um, and it seems like it's really eager to position itself as the company for smart home protection. Adrian, um, talk about this a little bit and also tell us, are you currently using ring cameras in your own home? I used to, um, the, I mean, I tested one last year and we let the subscription expire. Um, yeah, this is a real behind the curtain moment here because we and the reviews team have been really struggling with how we are going to cover Ring and Ring cameras. Um, I think we've disagreed with some of Ring's policy decisions in the past, which makes it really hard to wholeheartedly recommend a piece of hardware, even if we like it. They're simple, they're easy to use, they are you know reasonably priced, and it's hard to reconcile policy decisions with a piece of hardware that is, you know, pretty good because the ultimate thing here is that the smart whole smart home ecosystem, it's easier and it's more useful if all of your devices are on a single network. If you already have an Echo, it's easier to use Amazon devices that are going to play nicely with each other. We already have people on the gear team who are, you know, Google people versus Apple people versus mm -hmm. Amazon people. It's just more useful if it's all together. And what is more all together than Amazon? So it's a really tough, tough question on a number of levels. And that is a question I get a lot from friends and family when they're looking to invest in home security. Mostly I hear, should I get Nest or should I get Ring? And then in some cases, they may not be fully aware um, that Nest is owned by Google and Ring is owned by Amazon. And so my response is, well, whose universe do you want to live in more, Google or Amazon? And, and that's kind of the decision that you have to weigh at high level these days. Yeah. So one thing that I asked myself after walking away from the event is why is Amazon investing so much in smart home security? You know, they purchased Ring, they purchased Blink, they have this whole ecosystem of cameras, everything works with Alexa, everything works with Echo Show. So is this just something that like feels like a natural add-on to the devices that they've already made that are interactive, that have screens, that have cameras? Like This is just sort of the natural extension of what Amazon has already come up with? Or is there something else? Do they have consumer data about like people are really spending a lot of money on this stuff? Uh, do they feel as though if they make it and it works with Alexa that people will buy it? Or do they feel that people will trust them? There are just so many questions about why it feels like this is such a huge opportunity because... It doesn't feel cohesive to me yet. 
You know, it's like so disparate, so many different brands. It doesn't feel like a like a like a system. Yeah, it's a really good question. And I think uh, I think it was Engadget uh, a couple days after the event um, wrote a story about how Amazon is essentially turning into a personal security company with all of these strategic acquisitions that it's made and all the products that it's putting out now. And the way that they described it is like the robots are kind of the the face of Amazon's in-home security business, but Ring is actually the backbone and Astro the bot is demonstrative of that, right? It's it's kind of like it's branded like this friendly thing and it it's for inside your home, but really it's the the 10-inch tablet on it, it becomes a monitoring system for whatever rings you have installed in your home for whatever video streams that you're that you're um, you're getting served up or maybe you're paying for Ring's cloud service for its premium service, right? For advanced features and, and that kind of thing. Um, yes, Amazon knows these things are going to sell. It has a tremendous amount of data and what people are buying um, on its platform and probably on other platforms as well. It knows that like people are very into home security these days. Um, but I think also it's ultimately like it's selling you on this service with Ring. Um, also, I mean, that's part of the controversy, right? Because Ring has signed uh, agreements with more than, I think, more than 2,000 police departments around around the U.S. Um, and then these partnerships, uh, basically, it enables with some of their products, people to go into the Ring app and opt to share video with police departments. It also allows um, police departments to request video data from, from Ring. And this is something that privacy advocates and the Electronic Frontier Foundation have, have really... Um, expressed concern about. I mean, the EFF revealed that at one point the LAPD had targeted Black Lives Matter protests last summer um, with with these bulk ring requests for footage from doorbell cameras. Um, And those are, you know, protected activities by the First Amendment. And yet um, it's possible that police departments are viewing this footage and actually going to accuse people of some kind of malfeasance or crime or something like that as a result. Um, And Ring had changed its policies. Like we've done briefings with Ring in recent months where they've said like, look, we're trying to be more transparent about this. We're hearing these concerns. We've now made it so that when police do request Ring footage, um, the information request itself is made available to the public. So people like journalists and civil rights advocates don't have to jump through hoops to file these public information requests, just sort of it's a little bit more accessible, but the partnerships do still exist. And that's, I guess that's a, that's not really answering your question directly about why Amazon is in this business, in my opinion, Um, but it's an important part of the business, these partnerships that it doesn't seem inclined to back away from, if anything, it wants to push more into. Here's my answer to that question, Mike, which is that home security cameras and stuff like as a gear tester, it fits this specific category for the customer, which is the items that just have to be good enough, like frictionless and good, like toilet paper or composition notebooks and multiple home security cameras around your house. And that was one of the most striking things about uh, nearly everything that Amazon announced that day, which is that I have seen this before. It was probably better it cost $50 more. So every little, almost, almost everything. Like if it's a product that's just, that's just good enough, like, which is goes Mm -hmm. completely against Mm -hmm. our inclination as gadget writers and reviewers to find like the thing that works the best, but that's not what, you know, that's not what most people want. They just want something that is going to be affordable and is going to work. And that is something that Amazon is uniquely 
positioned to provide, I think. That is so true. Yeah, they're this big company and they can make things at scale and they can compete. Uh, they can, you know, sell products as loss leaders. But, you know, like that march towards let's just make all the stuff cheaper so that you can buy more of it. Like that's what really causes a lot of friction for me because it is important that anybody who's considering buying this stuff stops and asks themselves whether or not they actually need it or it's something that they feel comfortable having in their home. And a lot of people buy home security cameras or like baby monitors or just things with cameras on them and put them around their house and don't necessarily ask themselves that hard question. Also, a lot of people might feel as though they don't have anything to hide or that they don't feel that they necessarily have anything to worry about. But the important thing to remember, which is what all of the privacy and security experts will tell you, is that anything that opens up the potential for abuse is bad, right? Like, don't put a camera in your home unless you absolutely need a camera in your home, because the potential for that camera to be abused, if it's connected to the internet, is probably not worth putting it in your home. Mm-hmm. Here's what I would actually like Amazon to provide to me personally, which is a baby monitor, but it only registers cries above a certain level of decibels. So no cameras, but you know, just like little like whiny cries, it filters out, but then like it gets like above a certain decibel level, you know, broken leg level. <laughs> like that is actually what I want to know. Like this is the data that I need that they are not providing to me with this just good enough philosophy. Just like so. a human parent. That's right. <laughs> no. ah. Can Astro can Astro do that? Like I, I actually just, feel know. like Amazon is on its way there. Like it's it's gotten um closer to interpreting our moods and voice tones, right? Isn't but they that, took that they took that off the halo. They took it off the halo, they? but they can still do it. And then doesn't um doesn't Alexa also this was like this was announced I think like two years ago at the event, because I, I have recollections of this being in person, where um if you lower your tone or your the volume of your voice when you talk to Alexa, she'll respond in a whisper. So there's mm-hmm. definitely uh, voice recognition technology that that can recognize like the pitch or tone of our voices. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like sometimes my son is actually hungry and sometimes he just wants to bother me, you know? So if Alexa could just, you know, close the door, shut the door, ignore the like, <laughs> This is what Astro is really, we need Astro for. I need one yeah. of those for my cat, really. <laughs> yeah. They'll call it the crocodile tears feature. <laughs> <laughs> so we haven't really arrived at, um, a firm conclusion as to how we feel about ring products because it, it really is kind of a mixed bag, right? It is a, a controversial product, but to your point, Adrian, they are, and then certainly the in-home drone is controversial, I think. I, but, ha- I have a conclusion <laughs> about that, which is that you should not buy it. Which is, uh, yeah, no, but that, I mean, isn't that, isn't that the way with a lot of the tech we're using these days? Um, companies are making it so easy for us to integrate these products into our lives. And sometimes you integrate them and then you realize that maybe uh, we've all gone a step too far. Yeah, everyone wants to come to us for answers, but we're approaching these products in a way, like just as consumers too. I think it's okay to have evolving viewpoints on a lot yeah. of this stuff. So. Yeah, like you want to protect your home, but also you don't want to contribute to the surveillance state. You want to see what's going on in your backyard, but also you don't want to open yourself up for the potential to have that device hacked or abused in some way. Uh, you don't want to capture video of people who you like without their consent, but also you would like to capture video of bad people who are trying to do you harm without their consent. So where do you draw the line? That is an excellent question, and I think we're going to have to address it again in another podcast. Because, <laughs> or seven. Or seven. <laughs> or 17 of them. Yeah. 
All right, we're gonna take a quick break and when we come back, we're gonna do this week's recommendations. Want a new podcast to look forward to each week? One that's entertaining, informative, and packed with actionable content? Come on, of course you do. Introducing The Jordan Harbinger Show. The Jordan Harbinger Show, which Apple named one of its best of 2018, is aimed at making you a better informed, more critical thinker so you can get a sense of how the world actually works and come to your own conclusions about what's happening, even inside your own brain. Jordan dives into the minds of fascinating people, from athletes, authors, and scientists, to mobsters, spies, and hostage negotiators. Search for The Jordan Harbinger Show. That's H-A-R-B as in boy, I-N as in Nancy, G-E-R, in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening right now. Adrian, as our guest of honor this week, please go first. Tell us your recommendation. So one of my beats is workout headphones, and I recently tried a pair. These are the Back Bay Audio Tempo 30, and they cost $40. And when I opened up the package, I was just completely shocked, and I called our AV reviewer, Parker Hall, and forced him to try them like immediately because I just couldn't believe that these are only $40. Um, we have a full review forthcoming, but I think it's a general rule of thumb that you get what you pay for with headphones. Uh, the 40 or $50 price point has always just been kind of a crapshoot, but these are so good and so cheap that I just couldn't believe it. Nice aluminum case smaller than my iPod case. The fit is like super secure, especially if you have like super tiny ears. And they were just, I mean, I went rock climbing with them yesterday and was like dangling upside down and they didn't fall off. I was just, I was like, what is happening? So they're workout buds. So are they like sweat proof? And all yeah, that? they're waterproof, big bass boost. You can tap, you know, make my, my Kesha, my L King was coming in hot yesterday. It was, yeah, I could I couldn't believe it. If you've been looking for a, a pair of workout buds for under a hundred dollars, like I think I found them. So that was pretty crazy. Now you've inspired me to. Um, well, maybe if I get the headphones, I'll be inspired to work out. So thank you. <laughs> I'm inspired to do something. I mean, I've been I've been exercising, but do something maybe a little more active. I'll mail you a pair. Thank you. <laughs> All right, that's a great recommendation. Thanks, Aso. Uh, Snack fight. What's your recommendation this week? Uh, I'm going to do that thing, which is like really annoying, both for you and for everybody who listens. And I'm going to recommend some music. <laughs> um, Why is that annoying? Well, you know, just because I I have like non mainstream tastes, and and I like to tell people about interesting music that they maybe have never heard before and otherwise would not encounter. And some people think that that's annoying. Yeah, but- Swedish prog rock. Hit me with it's it. It's psych pop. Swedish psych pop. Swedish, sorry. But you also listen to prog rock, don't you? <laughs> so the thing the thing that I'm recommending is from a different <laughs> part of the world. Uh, it is a playlist on Spotify, and it is called Folk Fabrique. Two words, folk, F-O-L-K. Fabrique, like fabric, but spelled the French way with an I-Q-U-E. 
E at the end. The Folk Fabrique playlist is a, a playlist that always exists on Spotify, uh, and it's usually filled with a lot of North African music. Uh, this month, it is curated by the artist Madhu Mokhtar, who is a really amazing uh, guitarist, and actually, actually, like a whole band is called Madhu Mokhtar, but that's the name of the main person. And um, they play this like sort of energetic rock, and they're from the Sahara. So all of the music has all these really wild uh, mix of influences from like West Africa, North Africa and Europe and the United States and like James Brown, you know, Uh, this playlist is just chock full of really amazing North African and Saharan music. And I had never heard of any of these artists before. And so many of them have just these rich discographies and just, you know, amazing sounds and really wild styles of singing and playing and rhythms. I can't recommend it enough. If you are an adventurous music listener and you're really into like kind of funky, weird stuff, then you should check out the Folk Fabrique playlist on Spotify, curated by Mado Mokhtar. Now, I don't know how long that curation is going to last. It'll probably stay up for a few months, but it might go away tomorrow. Uh, so either way, the playlist has always been great, but it's extra great right now. Mike, by far the worst part of reviewing workout headphones is having to like reveal in print that all I listen to is Kesha and Jesse J. So I need all the help I can get and I will click on this immediately. I'll send you I'll send you music recommendations all the time if you want. Mike, you actually have really great music recommendations. And the last time you were over here, I put you in charge of the Sonos and you did play a pretty great playlist. And I think I gave it like two hours and then I was like, okay, I'm putting something else on that's more mainstream. That's an eternity for me. I was, it was pretty great though. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what's your recommendation, Lauren? My recommendation this week comes from actually someone I would call a friend of the pod. Uh, Anne Helen Peterson is a Substack writer. She writes the Substack Culture Study. She has been on the show before to talk about burnout and her book about burnout. And she's been working on a Peloton series um, as part of her her Substack. She she calls it an ongoing series on the overarching cultural significance of Peloton. I'm very intrigued by Peloton. I'm a Peloton user. I've written about it for Wired before and I'm generally just kind of interested in not not only what the company is doing, but why this particular digital workout brand has managed to attract such a rabid user base and, and what its special sauce kind of is. And so she had done a couple of earlier pieces. This one this week is really good. It's called The Counterintuitive Mechanics of Peloton Addiction. And she talks about this this kind of uh, dichotomy that exists between the leaderboard, which is the thing that's supposed to um, spur people or inspire people and keep them hooked while they're on the bike, but also how many of the instructors actually tell you not to pay attention to the leaderboard and um, like the kind of thrill she gets from watching her placement on the board. But then she kind of got over that and, and talks a little bit about like there's this pivot point for people with disordered relationships to exercise and what how Peloton uh, may or may not feed into that. And I thought it was very good. The one she did prior to this, um, was all about Allie Love's wedding. <laughs> Allie Love is an instructor, a popular Peloton instructor, and she had this like five day extravaganza wedding in Mexico and, and posted about it quite a bit on social media. And so Anne Helen did a really interesting uh, sort of, I don't know, thought piece on on the wedding and then this, this idea of the celebrity or micro celebrity um, in today's day and age. 
And um, I just, I find this series fascinating. So I recommend if you are not subscribed to Culture Study, subscribe, but check out the, the Peloton series in particular. Nice. Does it cost money? Sorry, did you say that? It does cost money and I forget how much I pay. Maybe it's might be five dollars a month. I think mine is. I think mine is, is fifty dollars a year. I went. I went whole hog on the AHP uh, Substack. Um, the the Peloton thing. I've had a kind of a piece in the works about how the thing that's so addictive about Peloton is the relationships you develop with the instructors, and I just cannot figure out a way to write it that's not just calling up Olivia Amato and just being like, let's be buds. Like, this is, un- <laughs> this is, this is an abuse of my power, of my journalistic powers, and I have, to find a, I have to find a better way to kind of worm in there. But, yeah. <laughs> I may or may not have just been having a conversation about Matt Wilpers over breakfast this morning. So, Adrian, I, f- I feel you. Mm-hmm. Got a... Let's go to the workouts, stalk them on Instagram, lurk outside of strategic buildings. I used to take Matt Wilper's classes in person in New York City long before he was an Instagram star. And um, he had a Picasso album. Now I'm really dating this. Wow. He had a Picasso album that he used to he'd say to people, like, sign up on a clipboard in front of the class. And then he'd put your email on his mailing list. And when he would go out on these long bike rides in beautiful places, he would create photo albums to share them via Picasso. <laughs> R.I.P. Picasso. Oh, my um, God. Picasso. Yeah, I, feel like I'm, I feel like a Wilbur's OG. <laughs> Were you were you listening on your Zoom when you were looking on Picasso? <laughs> yes. I'm kidding. I'm I probably, you, I was probably on my iPod. I was probably on my iPod Nano. And, <gasps> yeah, yeah. <laughs> the best device ever. Let's devote a future episode just to the iPod Nano. Um, well, this has been a delightful conversation. Well, we've really covered a lot. I mean, this show has everything: uh, robots and and surveillance technology and Peloton and uh, Folk Fabrique playlist on Spotify. Really, what other podcast in the world do you need to listen to? We've got it all here. Thank you, Adrian, for joining us, as always. Thank you guys for having me. And thanks, Snack Fight, for being a great co-host. Thank you. And thanks to all of you for listening. If you have feedback, you can find all of us on Twitter. Just check the show notes. We love hearing from you. And this show is produced by the excellent Boone Ashworth. Bye for now. We'll be back next week. Hackers and cybercriminals have always held this kind of special fascination. Obviously, I can't tell you too much about what I do. It's a game. Who's the best hacker? And I was like, well, this is child's play. I'm Dina Temple Raston, and on the Click Here podcast, you'll meet them and the people trying to stop them. We're not afraid of the attack. We're afraid of the creativity and the intelligence of the human being behind it. Click Here, stories about the people making and breaking our digital world. AI machines, satellite, engine ignition, click here, and liftoff. Click here, every Tuesday and Friday, wherever you get your podcasts.